This morning's scripture reading comes from Amos chapter 7, 7 through 15. This is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all of his words. For thus says Amos, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. What say you? Thanks be to God. Please bow and pray with me. Lord God, we come before you this morning with heads lifted up, hearts open to your word. May what we hear this morning be of you. Let it instruct us on what to do, but let your Holy Spirit ever guide us in your will. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday I had the pleasure of doing something that I have wanted to do for a long time, but have not either had the time or there was a scheduling conflict. And so when the opportunity arose, I, I jumped at the chance. I had the opportunity to work with Habitat for Humanity. And it was, it was a great experience. I mean, I didn't do much, but it was just the fact that I got to be a part of, of building a home for a family to live in eventually. And I mean, I did caulking, you know, just make sure the the cracks were covered and wiped it down. But then I actually got to measure boards. I got to measure a space and then cut it using a, a saw and use a, a nail gun. I hadn't used a nail gun before, so that experience was pretty cool. But then I thought about the seriousness of not so much the project, but of building a home, right? Like the measurements have to be on it. Like, you don't want to build a shoddy house. I mean, if, if you value human life. You don't want to build something that could fall apart. And so I was very cognizant of the weight of working with other individuals as we built this home. And so in reading the text, I had an idea of the severity of a wall that doesn't measure up. So a plumb line 
is a string basically that has a lead weight. And you measure a wall against that plumb line. And if the wall is straight, great. We have a wonderful foundation. But if that wall begins to bend, you have a problem. And so in the text, we find that the Lord is measuring Israel with a plumb line. The Israel that God has made a covenant with, that God has brought under God's protection, is being measured. God says, no longer will I pass you by. Basically, the time for repentance is over. It's now time to seriously look at your actions and the consequences for what you've done. But let's back up a little bit. Let's give this some context. Last week, we talked about Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, we were already in exile. This is Amos. Amos is one, believed to be one of the first, if not the first, writing prophet, meaning that Amos has written down his experiences or the experiences of Amos have been written down. This is pre-exile. So what you read in Ezekiel is, oh, that's what Amos was talking about. But we don't get to that. We don't even get an inclination that Amos even knows the end result. Because sometimes you kind of get the feeling that maybe the messenger has seen and is writing in retrospect. But in this sense, no. It's Amos where he is in that particular moment in time. So to also contrast Ezekiel with Amos, in last week's sermon, we heard that Ezekiel was a priest from a priestly family, and he was commissioned to be a prophet. We understand that a prophet and a priest aren't necessarily the same thing. Whereas a priest looks at uh, intercessory, does intercessory prayer, looks at a ceremony and a religious ordinances and religious correctness of prophet not necessarily so but we know that a prophet is the spokesperson for the Lord so a priest can be a prophet and a prophet can be a priest but they're not necessarily the same entity they're not they don't necessarily have to be the same person right and so we see in the text this morning that Amos further down he even says I am no prophet He doesn't come from a priestly family. He doesn't come from a family of prophets. God has called him to this particular task. Amos has a day job. Amos is a sheep breeder. He works with, you know, he does horticulture. I mean, he has other things that he can be doing with his life. And in the middle of life, God calls him. And what does God call him to do? It's not a simple task. It's not easy. It's not easy being the bearer of bad news. I don't know. Some people relish it, right? Some people are like, hey, I got something to tell you. And you're just like, oh, because, you know, every time that person has something to tell you, it's nothing good, right? They gossip like there is no tomorrow. And it's never, I think there is a distinction between good gossip. I think good gossip is good news, right? Like, I heard such and such got a a new job, or I heard someone's son, the one that they have been praying for ceaselessly, has has come through. They they are actually going to graduate from high school, right? Like, that's, that's good news. But then there are those people that don't know the meaning of good news. Everything that they have to share 
is about someone's downfall or someone's comeuppance or what they want to happen that's negative is not good news. But it, in this sense, Amos, he's, he's not a gossip in the breaking down or tearing down an individual, but he's not a bearer of good news. The Lord has told him, you know, we're past that point. So he has to tell everyone, because it almost makes it seem like there's still hope, though, right? Like, if the Lord is saying, I have a plumb line, I'm measuring you, you need to get it together, there's, there's hope, right? But the issue is people aren't listening. And why should they? Times are good. People are prosperous. The population is growing. The GDP is through the roof. I mean, there is no reason to give any stock into what Amos is saying. Like, what? Exile? Like, what do you, what do you, there, Amos, go away. So this is, this is Amos's dilemma. And quite frankly, I don't think it's an Amos dilemma. Like, Amos has no reservations about the task. Why? Because God called him. God is the one who is sending the message. It's not on his own volition. You know, it's not like he came up with a thought and thought that he'd start spreading it. No. Again, he's been commissioned. But this contrasts Amaziah. Now, Amaziah is actually a priest. He has that uh, distinction. He's official. He wears the stole. He has the robe. He knows the right prayers and when to pray them. He has all the instruments, the gestures. He does it all. He also has the king's audience. And there lies the conflict between Amos and Amaziah is that Amos is on God's side and Amaziah is on the king's side, which indirectly is his side. That's the distinction. So no wonder the Lord has to intervene, right? No wonder the Lord's like, you know, we need to get this plumb line together because you're not listening to me. And even in the text, it says in verse, let me find it. In verse 12 and 13, it mentions, for it is the king's sanctuary. When did a king get a sanctuary? Like those little, that little descriptor, right? Whose sanctuary is it? It's the king's sanctuary. And what makes it the king's sanctuary from this perspective, right, to even label it as such? Well, the priests come to me whenever they want to go left or right. I furnish the sanctuary with materials and little flourishes and instruments of gold and, and bronze and I do marble. That comes from my land. I say who, when, where, and how. So already, 
we see in the text that there seems to be a disconnect. Because when we have read previously in the Old Testament about the sanctuary, it's always the Lord's sanctuary. The Lord lives here. So we're seeing that there's a, a change in loyalty. The priest is no longer speaking on behalf of the Lord or has the Lord's interest at heart. So the, king, so the, the priest represents king and politics. I know politics is such a dirty word in church, isn't it? Like, oh, did she just say politics? I didn't come here to worship for that. Yes, king and politics, the priest, the spiritual leader, an Amos, an outsider, one who is not in the priestly order, in the prophetic order, has been called to tell the people what's what. There's another issue with Amos, though. He's a foreigner. Amos is from the southern kingdom, and he's called to preach to the northern kingdom. Now, for you know, a bit of a refresher, the kingdom of Israel was united under two kings, King David, King Solomon. After that, there was a breach and a fracture, and you had 10 tribes represented in the southern, northern kingdom, and you had two in the southern kingdom, Judah, Benjamin. And so the priest is saying, hey, that's great and all, but you need to go home. This isn't, it's not your place to talk to these people. It's not your place to come here and tell us what it is that we should and should not be doing. You don't know the history. You're not familiar with the tradition. You're new, so let me explain it to you this way. Although the Lord might have called you, we don't want to hear it. Although the Lord might have commissioned you, you're not one of us. And to that, which I love, and to that, Amos says, I am no prophet. And so what, what, is it, what does it mean? What does it mean? I am no prophet. I already mentioned he doesn't come from a prophetic or a, a school of prophets. You know, he's not studied. But the mere fact that the Lord has called him gives him the authority, the prophet. So what? think about it. What does Amos mean? I am no prophet. I'll give you a sec. You don't have to shout out anything. Just, <laughs> just, want, just want us to think a little bit and not to run over some of these nuggets. All right. I am no prophet. I guess in colloquial terms, current colloquial terms, I don't need this. I don't, I don't need to do this. Because he says, go to your place, um, peddle your, basically peddle your message there, meaning uh, earn your living in your own home. Don't, don't come here seeking to get 
you know, funds for whatever mission you're about. And Amos says, dude, like, I, don't, I have a job. I have, and some commentators have said that he might have even had wealth. So the message that he's giving may, may even be against his own interests. I mean, when is exile really beneficial for the people in the land? Right? So Amos is like, I, I don't need this. I don't get paid to do this. And hold up, Mike. I know. Hold on. <laughs> I'm not arguing for that. But the point is, because Amos doesn't have any financial invested interest, it frees him up to give the message that God is giving him. Because let's be honest, when our pocketbooks are involved, we tend to be more deliberate and, and ruminate on decisions that might otherwise be obvious. When faced with matters of injustice or faced with matters of any current circumstance, like poverty or what have you, go on and so forth, we think, how much would that cost? Dollars and cents. And then when we figure out how much that would cost, how much will that cost me? And whether that cost be like literal you know, monies or just how does that affect my household? Like, will I be asked to change? Oh, pass? No, thank you. And it's not a judgment. It's just an observation. Because we all, we all do it, right? Self-preservation. Does that hinder my preservation? That's counterintuitive. Why would I do that? Why would I jeopardize my livelihood? It's taken me a minute to get here. I've worked hard. I've studied. I put up with the nonsense. I've done it. And this is what I have to show for it. And now you're asking me to give it up. And for what? Because you think God told you something? And I'm just supposed to be okay with that. So Amos says, I am no prophet. And the priest says, go home anyway. Go home. We don't want to hear that. So what are the modern day implications? Well, Israel was going to face consequences. And I'll speak as a faith leader. It is difficult to tell a congregation with whom you have a responsibility to not only preach the word, offer pastoral care, but you're very cognizant of the fact that you have rent and you eat regularly. And maybe occasionally you, you leave, vacation, whatever. And so getting a message from God that may be in jeopardy of the culture in which you have come to work, you start thinking. So that's as a faith leader. That's kind of like a one-on-one -on -one correlation between the priest and a, a faith leader. 
as members, I alluded to it or I gave a description or I described the scenario earlier. When we are asked about our faith, when we are asked about a political topic, I know I keep cursing this morning, but when we, we're asked about a subject and we go like, oh, we evade, redirect, ignore, maybe become hostile, or demure. And we find out in the text that there are consequences for not doing what we know God is telling us to do. Israel, the chosen one, chosen to disperse the message, right? Chosen not to harbor it, not to keep it. Like, we got a secret. We know about this great so-and-so, but we're not going to tell you. They were chosen to go out. But when they jeopardized that relationship, when they decided that comfort was more acceptable, beneficial, wanted, for lack of a better word, God says, I can't use you anymore. I can't use you. And so although they have, they have, they, not a had, they have a covenant with God. They have a relationship with God because why else would God care? You don't seek to reconcile with someone with whom you don't have a relationship. You don't seek reconciliation with someone who you don't love or care about. Why would you bother? I don't, I, uh, indifference, that's what it is. I don't care. So they have a relationship with God. And God says, I'm not passing you by anymore. There has to be consequences for you not listening. And not only are you not listening, you're actively in, engaged in defiance against me consequences. So what are our consequences? What could be some of our consequences? Because they're merit. But these are some that I think have become our consequences for not being wholehearted. And I, I bring myself into this. Membership attrition. Fewer and fewer people are claiming membership. It's that the statistics is to a church. But even in that, they don't want to be affiliated with church. Why? Oh, just years and years and years of people saying they're hypocrites in there. They say one thing and do another. And that's not to say that people aren't hypocrites. But when, when we're a church and our whole thing is speaking truth, and yet our image is hypocrisy, hmm, that could, be a, that could be a consequence. Another consequence could be youth interest. So let's say, you know, membership attrition, that's all ages. It doesn't matter how old you are. But youth don't want to go to church. It's like, oh, we got this cool program. They're like, yeah, huh? Great. More and more, youth are finding other things to do with their time. That could be a consequence. Another consequence could be allowing political, and I know I've said it almost three times now, allowing political views to fracture the body of Christ. 
that could be a consequence. Where more and more the church we attend is less about theology and more about political affiliation. That could be a consequence. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But I am not a prophet. What's the good news, though, right? What's the good news? Because I don't want to leave us in this, like, oh, man. <laughs> I just want to sit there a second, you know, but at the same time, I know we need to, can, can I get some Jesus? Um, the good news the good news is that even though we have consequences for our actions, individually and corporately, right? Because the body of Christ, you may say, that wasn't me. Like, I didn't do that. But when we claim the body of Christ, we are connecting ourselves. We are aligning ourselves with what it means to be a Christian. So the good news is that God gives us opportunities to make amends. When we do our prayer of confession, that's an opportunity. Like, God, I know, I know I messed up. I know I had the chance to do your will and I messed up. Please forgive me. Bam, refresh. And then in that, God's spirit works in us so that when we're presented with an opportunity again, maybe we mess up again, we confess. We're presented with the opportunity again, maybe we mess up again. I mean, it's a vicious cycle. But the thing is that God does not withdraw God's self from our lives because we mess up. God may not prevent the consequences from our actions from coming upon us, but God will be with us in the midst of whatever we are facing. That's the good news. The good news is that we don't do anything that separates us from having a relationship, having an opportunity to have a relationship, having an opportunity to be a beacon of light, having an opportunity to turn the image of what it means to be a Christian around, having the opportunity to say, I messed up, I am sorry, having the opportunity to say, I'm not like what I used to be like, I'm not who I used to be. Having the opportunity to say, I want to do better. I want to be better. And with God's help, I will be better. Amen.